An interviewee said that he was having some challenges. He went into an escalation call coming into the renewal with a 60% probability that he was going to cancel. But he hadn't fully made his decision yet. But the way that that conversation was handled from the other side, pointing back to the contract, taking a hard line, not being very flexible. And that was through this time of COVID as well, which even more sensitive, that's what sealed it for him. So absolutely, the CSM is huge in, in impacting that, that decision for the clients. Gainsight presents the Game Changer Podcast with host Adam Joseph. Hello, and welcome to the Game Changer Podcast brought to you by Gainsight. That clip was from today's guest, Natasha Nari, CEO and co-founder of Iceberg IQ. Today, we're talking all about the benefits of win-loss reporting and what insights to search for in churn interviews. Natasha shares how the customer success experience impacts renewal decisions and why most customers decide to leave long before you discover they are at risk. And now, your host, Adam Joseph. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Gainsight Game Changer podcast series. I'm Adam Joseph, the Director of Customer Success at Gainsight. So I think it's safe to say that one of the truisms within customer success is that we can always learn more from our clients. And that's especially relevant when it comes to the renewal event and understanding what really drives and motivates decision-making. Losing customers to churn is always painful. However, if we're not learning from churn, then we're liable to make the same mistakes over and over again. So for that reason alone, I've always strongly advocated having detailed churn analysis so both the wider business and customer success can understand what we can do to improve and help prevent other customers leaving for similar reasons. In fact, I believed in it so much that prior to joining Gainsight, I actually ran a consultancy that delivered win-loss analysis, and I loved doing it. On every project, I was able to uncover valuable insights from churn customers that fundamentally helped improve businesses in so many ways across their enterprise. And one of the reasons that I'm delighted to welcome my guest today on the pod is that our careers have aligned, but in slightly opposite ways. Where I was running my own win-loss consultancy and then joined Gainsight, she did it the other way around. She was at Gainsight and then started up her own win-loss business. So Natasha Narayan is the CEO and founder of Iceberg IQ, a buyer intelligence market research firm, which conducts win-loss and churn interviews on behalf of B2B software companies. Natasha, a very, very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure and I really appreciate you having me on the show. No, it's fantastic. Natasha, I gave a quick plotted history there about you and your background, but it's nothing better than hearing it in your own words. Do you want to just tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure, absolutely. So I've been in technology for over 20 years, actually. My career started back in the early 2000s. Actually, just before that, Xerox. And then I was living in Australia. I worked for a company called Right Now Technologies, and I was with them for 10 years through an IPO and acquisition by Oracle. We were one of the first pioneers in SaaS. So we had an on-prem and a SaaS offering even way back then. So customer success, which we'll get into a little bit later, was always near and dear philosophy, especially as you know, when you're building a region from the ground up outside of the US, every customer matters so much so that they're referenceable for you. So I think it's just been a part of my DNA all along. And then 
I was with Gainsight. I was the first employee in Canada. So right now actually transferred me to Canada from Australia to get everything going again for them in a new region. And then I did the same again with Gainsight for four years. So from 2015 to 2019, I was with Gainsight really through a lot of the exciting time building the category and seeing customer success as an industry and the momentum that's been built. Phenomenal. And one of the ways I love to start these podcasts is just finding a, a bit kind of off the wall information about my guests, so finding about more of you as a character. So my question to you before we dive into the wonderful world of win-loss analysis and what we can learn in customer success would be, if you were going to have your own talk show, Natasha, who would you like as your first guest on the program? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I gave this a lot of thought. And actually, <laughs> based on the current situation with the Black Lives Matter movement, I would nominate a woman by the name of Viola Desmond, who's a Canadian. She actually passed away a few decades ago. But back in 1946, she went into a movie theater and was anti-segregation. They, she sat with the whites in the area and they put her in jail, actually. And so she, she was quite a phenomenal person to spark the civil rights movement in Nova Scotia and then also across Canada. And we've put her on our $10 bill just, just recently, a couple of years ago. So yeah, that's who I would have. Wow, that's way better than the frivolous answer I would have given. <laughs> so, <laughs> I appreciate the deep and meaningful start and obviously how incredibly topical with everything going on right now. So yeah. thank you for that. So let's dig into the kind of primary thrust of today's episode. Now, I've spoken about how, why I believe in win-loss analysis so much. I've hired consultants in the past when I've worked in previous businesses. I've done it myself and clearly you believe in it, that you're the founder and CEO of, of Iceberg IQ. But I'd love to hear in your own words what you feel are some of the main benefits from not only win-loss analysis, but also the importance of having that degree of independence and doing this externally rather than just commandeering someone in your own business to do it. Yeah. So I think we can all assume what we think happened when the deal, either a win or a loss or a renewal or a churn, but I don't think anything replaces hearing it from the customer's perspective. And so that's, I guess, number one. And we all, we ask the reps and CSMs to code things in Salesforce or whatever CRM you're using, but just getting one of a dropdown of selection of codes, nothing replaces actually having that conversation and getting the full story from the customer perspective. So we provide feedback about competitive intelligence, product feedback, what you're doing in your engagement model that might be working and what's not working. So we provide a lot of rich, candid feedback back to our clients. And we actually get a pretty high recruitment rate. So we also take care of the recruiting of the accounts once you give us the list. And really, it's because it's unbiased feedback and they're speaking with a third party, we find that the feedback's more rich and more candid and they're more willing to open up. Especially with churns, Customers feel bad giving you the bad news. They want to leave on a good note. They want to leave the door open. And they tend to just, yeah, they, they don't really want to dump everything on the way out. You mentioned earlier, and I think a lot of businesses today have some kind of reason code when customers do unfortunately churn. What I used to find actually was when I dug in and spoke to the customer. So for example, one of the key reasons I used to hear from my clients when I was running a, a win-loss consultancy was that, well, we know why this customer lost. They told us we were just too expensive. And of course, there is some validity to that. But actually, when I spoke to their client at length, it wasn't so much it was too expensive. It's just they weren't getting value from their subscription. And it doesn't matter how cheap or expensive something is. If you're not getting value from something, even if you're not paying that much, you're going to leave. Is that something you find as well that sometimes the reason code that someone might have in their own CRM system might just be the tip of the iceberg, I guess, hence the name of your business, rather than actually when you dig a little deeper, you get a slightly different picture? 
Absolutely. I mean, the price could be anything, but if they're not able to see their ROI or see the value from it, then how are they going to justify it to the executives to continue to invest in that platform? So definitely, and if you peel back that even further, why aren't they seeing value? It's because maybe they weren't able to onboard successfully or they weren't able to get the integrations in place that they needed to have consistency in the data or whatever it might be. And so we spend a lot of time in the call, really uncovering what it is, who the person is, like what their profile is, and also what were they setting out to achieve. And so I think that's really important, especially with these relationships that might go on for a year, three years, however long it might be. Even as a CSM, you're, you're constantly releasing new features for your company and you're trying to help innovate and get them to the next level. But it's so important to go back to originally what they were trying to achieve. Or if that vision has changed, maybe people have left the organization or the requirements have changed, or the priorities have shifted, definitely, I think that, yeah, the value realization is paramount. And a slightly more tactical question, but I used to get asked this a lot, which is when is the best time to actually engage with a churn customer to try and find out, deep dive into what they could have done differently? Because in some ways, if it's too soon, it's almost too raw an experience. Whereas if you wait too long, clearly some of the finer details might be missed. So it's kind of that Goldilocks, right? So I always used to find... Roughly about anywhere from about three, six, that window between three to nine, 10 months was always perfect for me. Have you found yeah. that as well? Or- yes. So what we've found as a best practice is that the more recent, the better. So for churns, if it's within the last few months, even if they canceled two weeks ago, that's fine. It's actually, maybe you wouldn't want to do it the next day, but mm-hmm. I think two weeks is about probably the minimum. And then we would say within the last quarter, within the last three months is the right amount. Six months is the most we'd want to go and back because beyond that, people just don't remember to the level of detail. Because, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, it's, it's not only about the experience they're having with your organization, it's also about what's pulling them towards where they ended up going to if, if they happen to go to status quo or to another vendor. And do you typically find that most churn customers that you speak to are really good corporate citizens and willing to, they just want an avenue to share their feedback? Or do you sometimes need to harangue them or even offer them an incentive, be that something for themselves or a charitable donation? And as do people, when they, they're thinking about putting programs together, need to think about having some budget available for this? Yeah, so we have a really high acceptance rate. So the way it works is the client would give us a list of accounts, we could recruit them. So we have a really high acceptance rates for churns. It's almost as high as wins. And so I think that's a testament to how willing companies are, especially with B2B relationships. They've invested quite a lot with you as a partner. They don't want to see you go out of business a year later just because they chose to not work with you anymore. So we do find that the take-up is pretty high. And then in terms of incentives, we do offer an incentive. It's an option of a gift card or a charitable donation. And we do have a multi-touch cadence that we run to be able to... It's almost like an SDR or BDR in the outreach. So it is quite involved, which is one of the challenges with doing this in-house. It's almost like a practice in itself where There's a whole cadence to secure the interview, then somebody to conduct it who's got the interviewing experience, and then the whole reporting and coding coding as well. Yeah. And I remember from doing this myself, it's not so much a scripted interview. I mean, clearly, you're going to have a framework to be able to get the relevant information. So at the end of the at the end of conducting a number of interviews, you can, for your client, bring forward a, a list of recommendations. But it's very much the interviewer needs to be someone who's very skilled and adept at trying to eke out the right kind of information from your your customer without just having a scripted list of questions in front of you, right? Yeah, I think once you start getting to scripts, you move more into almost the quantitative analysis or quantitative research where we're very much about 
qualitative. So open-ended questions. We have a methodology for the interview where we have the buyer or the customer go into storytelling mode. We call it buyer's hero. So we have them really open up. It is almost like investigative journalism because we're allowing them to go where to what's important to them. And then we're navigating the conversation to, to pull everything else and all the decision factors along mm. the way. Right now, you and your team would have conducted several you know, maybe hundreds of these different types of, of interviews. I'm really proud to say that Gainsight worked with Iceberg IQ as well, and we, we really enjoy that relationship. But from, from not only the interviews that you've conducted on behalf of Gainsight, but for other businesses as well, we're recording this in June 2020, you know, hopefully just coming out of at least the first wave, and hopefully there is no more waves of COVID. I'm really interested to see what trends that you've picked up, if there are any kind of key trends that have emerged as you look across all of the different interviews, or is every business and software so different that it's difficult to kind of bring together any top level trends? Yeah, so there are definitely nuances that are specific to each client, but we're definitely seeing themes. And one of the things that I found so fascinating was that I always thought that a client would decide to churn 90 days closer to leading up to the renewal date because that's when they really start investigating what they're going to do. And that's, of course, why we or CSMs have checkpoints, 90-day check-ins. But it's actually, we're finding that it's anywhere from six months to two years prior to the renewal that they're making that decision to leave. And it's because they're not seeing value, they need to plan ahead, and it takes that much time for them to be able to find a suitable replacement and then make sure they've got that shored up because maybe they were taking a leap of faith to be going with you in the first place with the technology, they don't want to make the same mistakes again. So they really need to be shored up. So that's definitely one of them. The model didn't work for them. We see a lot of that where the client had thought this is what the pricing model should be that would fit most of the clients. But then you find that there's feedback like, oh, it doesn't actually fit for these particular situations. It could be around the pricing, for example. Another one is even the persona. We have a client where they were overlooking a particular persona inside their clients that they just didn't even realize was as important. And turns out that person, that role within the organization was actually a key decision maker to those churns. And back to the value realization as well, I think we definitely see a lot of churns because they're just not seeing value. They're not able to really justify the investment Mm -hmm. to their executive team. And so we have to go back to basics about what they were trying to achieve. That's really, really interesting. Certainly knowing your personas So even in a customer success world here at Gainsight, for example, one of the, as you think about the different kind of personas that you might engage with, you might think about for Gainsight would be the head of customer success or a manager of the team. But increasingly, we're engaging with CFOs. And you wouldn't necessarily think that would be a persona that Gainsight we need to engage with. But we're doing that a lot because ultimately these deals are being signed off at that level. So if that persona isn't aware of the difference that we're making, then that could you know, have a major impact on our fortune. So it really resonates with me. I think it's really interesting what you said about customers deciding to leave long before you think they do, which mm-hmm. really talks about the importance of the customer journey and, and figuring out it's not just about delivering value 90 days before the renewal. It needs to be something consistently you're doing along the customer journey. I do want to see in terms of, obviously, with the customer success hat on here, about how the overall experience impacts that renewal decision. So clearly, if they've done their due diligence before, they have a good idea about what problem or issue that this software is coming in to solve. But how big a part do you think it plays in the whole customer success model and being proactive and helping, first of all, understanding what the customer's objectives are, and then Mm -hmm. obviously helping them achieve it. 
Yeah, I think it's huge. And we've even seen that in interviews where they say they were working with one person and it was awesome. That person was finding workarounds for them. They were connecting them with like-minded customers. They just got so much out of that relationship. And then when either that CSM was promoted or they shifted to another part of the organization or left the company, it was such a drastic change that that ended up leading. It was a major factor in the renewal decision because they didn't feel as supported. Or another example that came up recently was a an interviewee said that he was having some challenges. He went into an escalation call coming into the renewal with a 60% probability that he was going to cancel, but he hadn't fully made his decision yet. But the way that that conversation was handled from the other side, pointing back to the contract, taking a hard line, not being very flexible. And that was through this time of COVID as well, which even more sensitive, that's what sealed it for him. So absolutely, the CSM is huge in, in impacting that, that decision for the clients. And the other interesting point you made about the human factors, I had one CSM and who was phenomenal, and then I dealt with someone else who maybe didn't tick all of the boxes. Now, if mm-hmm. it was that CSM, them ringing up afterwards or doing a Zoom call or whatever, to then do the exit interview, how willing might that person be to actually say, you know what, it was you. And I think it would be very rare for to get that level of transparency. And I think if you truly want to be objective, it kind of really points to why you need to think about potentially using an external business as opposed to doing it internally. I'm trying not to plug you too much, but it really... I know this is near and dear to you, Alan. I'm so appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> no and the other thing, maybe the, the, the kind of final part of this podcast that I'd love to go a bit further on is that you mentioned the role in the interview of being more like an investigative journalist and, and not just mm-hmm. taking what you, you hear on a surface and really want to kind of drill down. And I think that not doesn't resonates just to the topic of win-loss interviews, but very much how CSM needs to operate. I think having that curious mindset is such a strength for a CSM. So, you know, when you have young kids or at least are, you know, minor teenagers now, but I remember way back when, and it was really annoying because no matter what we tell our kids, they'd always say, why, why, why? And it would drive you mad at the time. But actually, as you think about your role as a CSM, not just taking what you're hearing to begin with, but actually trying to drill down a little bit into why customers are saying what they're saying and getting them to elaborate. And I hate the phrase peeling back the onion, but you get the sense of what I mean. Obviously, it's really important for what you do in your interviewing. Have you got any tips or advice that could help CSMs on having that more investigative journalist type of mindset when working with customers? Not that they want to kind of drill them down, but just to really help uncover things that might, if they just take the first answer and then move on. Yeah. It's so funny because I had been in sales for so long and I thought, oh, I'm great at interviewing. This is going to be so easy. And then when I really got into the methodology, because there's some history with Iceberg, as you know, it was a reboot of a company called Eigenworks, which for many years, Alan Armstrong, who unfortunately passed away last year, he had built this whole methodology. So once I really learned it, there's just so much about holding space for the customer to speak, not rushing, asking the same question in different ways digging further. So as you said, asking why, but maybe in different ways. So I think those are a few of the top ones. There's other ones like playing back what they said to you. So that way you're confirming that you understood what they said. And and it really demonstrates the listening skills, but also allows them to confirm, did you actually hear them correctly? Or do they feel like their voice was accurately reflected in the way that you've just presented something back to them? So digging, playing back, mirroring, we call it, The other thing that's really powerful is maybe they've just given you a lot of information. It's really nice to synthesize everything they said and summarize it into a few key points and play that back to them. 
because what we find is that they'll say, oh, actually, no, you know, yes, that was right. Or no, this part, I just want to restate what I meant by that. And there's one final tip I have around this, which is just continuing to be so powerful. It's, it's like the what if statements. So they've just told you something, but you're actually testing the strength of what they just told you. And we use this in decision factors. So if somebody churned, it might be that they said it was for all of these reasons. And they prioritize that one reason was the most. But if you ask them a what if question and ask them like, what if that variable wasn't there in the first place? Would the outcome have still been the same? And it's a good way for us to find out because then they'll say, actually, you know what? No, if that wasn't there, then we probably would have stayed. Or yes, we still would have gone. So I think that that's a really good one as well, just to uh, test the decision strength. A couple of things that I've found have really worked well to my advantage is silence can be a real friend of yours. So sometimes when you're in a customer engagement, there could sometimes be a, a period of silence. As a CSM, you don't always have to feel that you've got to jump in and fill that silence. Sometimes just letting a conversation breathe, you can get a lot. Whereas if you'd interjected straight away, you wouldn't have got any of it. And the second thing, and I particularly am thinking here about big events along the customer journey, for example, like an executive business review. And you might have a 60-minute time allocated for that. And the problem is, as a CSM, sometimes you feel that you need to fill all of that with slideware and discussion points and having an agenda. Sometimes you might have a, a technological issue or you have a bit of small talk beforehand. And all of a sudden, you're now trying to cram in 60 minutes worth of content into now 45 minutes. And the problem is you spend all of your time talking. And actually, you don't get an opportunity at all to have that conversation when you've got some key stakeholders in the room to actually get all of this intelligence that you just don't get a chance to do either. So I, I found that really useful. And I'm sure many people listening in might have their own techniques, but certainly make sure you've got the time to ask those questions, but don't just hear what you take as the first answer. Do drill down on it because so much can be gathered. And so, Tasha, this has been phenomenal. I've kind of jotted down a few ideas as well that you've gone through, and I'm sure everyone listening to this will have some great actionable takeaways, something tangible that they can really think about. I also just wanted to echo your words about Alan Armstrong as well. I knew Alan pretty well on his visits to the Pulse conferences here in London. I worked with Eigenworks myself. He was a wonderful guy who's very dearly missed by everyone. Then he was actually a, a guest on an earlier type of podcast that I did. And it was one of my, my favorite. Every time I had a, a reason to speak to Alan, I always thoroughly enjoyed it and learned something from it. He's really dearly missed, right? Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, he is. I mean, really, this company is in honor of him, so we consider him often. What nicer way of finishing an homage to, to Alan. Natasha, thank you so much again. It's been a privilege. Look forward to uh, talking to you again soon. Thanks, Adam. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gainsight Game Changer podcast. Please follow, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about all of our episodes, please visit Gainsight.com. This podcast is produced and edited by StudioPod. To learn more about their work, go to StudioPodSF.com.